0: This is one heat minute.
1: Drop of a hat, these guys will rock and roll. What's your name, Wayne You Look like gangbangers working the local 7-Eleven. Robbery homicides taking. Give me
0: all you got. This is. And- Give me all you got. I do what I do best takes course. You do what you do best. I'm trying to stop guys like me A podcast dedicated to all 170 minutes of Michael Mann's L.A. Crime Opus Heat, one minute at a time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to One Heat Minute, I'm your host Blake Howard and joining me today for the 63rd minute of Michael Mann's 1995 Crime Opus is a person who shares my surname, so we're no relation, but a person who shares my surname, a female film critic, part of the Alliance of Women uh, Film journalist, part of the Online Film Critics Society, writer for Fresh Fiction and Sassy Mama LA, Courtney Howard. Welcome to One Heat. Thank
1: Minute. you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I yeah.
0: love this. And look, <laughs> and, I, and when I spoke to, I was speaking to, um, I was speaking to my wife and I was like, oh, I've got Courtney Howard coming on. She's like, is that a cousin that I've never heard of? Yeah. No? I said, no, <laughs> no, this is no
1: relation, no relation,
0: no relation. <laughs> There's look, just uh, a
1: lot of there's a lot of awesome Howards in this world. Oh, and look. I feel like we need to talk to them all.
0: <laughs> <laughs> not, not, not everyone deserves a spot. I'm thinking of my, some of my family members. Not everyone deserves a spot to blather on about One Heat Minute, but I'm really <laughs> glad to be talking to Courtney for this minute. It's the 63rd minute of One Heat Minute. And just for context, because I know that not a lot of you guys are as obsessive as I am with knowing where things are up to, if you're watching the classic original theatrical cut of Heat it's 62 minutes on the dial or one hour and two minutes on the dial. Um, it is immediately, pretty much immediately in the wake of uh, Vincent being at the Wayne Grove crime scene. He goes back to where there was lots of revelry and fun happening. Um, and he finds Justine sort of sitting in a dark corner by herself, waiting and and not wanting to ruin anyone's night. And they're in the middle of... A really great thing, which Courtney, Courtney, Courtney highlighted just before we started on there, and I'll let her repeat it to you guys, a, a, one of those great marriage fights that's happening in a very civil manner.
1: Yeah, it's one of the uh, great scenes here that uh, this is why I'm so happy to be here today, because this is my secret, <laughs> not-so-secret uh, favorite cinematic subgenre is married people arguing, films that feature that. And this argument is one of the more civil of them, but it's done with such like an adult sort of presence of mind. There's no sort of off-the-cuff things it's all just very reserved and they're both sort of coming at this like two adults that are sort of I don't know I feel like they're trying to figure out what's best for them and I don't know you don't see that a lot in these kinds of movies
0: but we'll we'll dig into it before we dive in I really need a list. Can we can we rattle off some of the list of the marriage people arguing <laughs> subgenre because I'm definitely going to put it in the post for one heat minute. That sounds like a great subgenre. <laughs> so give me some of your highlights in this in this subgenre.
1: Yes, okay. So there's a lot there's a few in there that are probably controversial for people to be like, "Well, I don't really like that one." But uh Revolutionary Road is in there. Revolutionary Road is um, a huge one. Huge one. Blue Valentine is great. Oh. Um, I've got a
0: great story about Blue Valentine for for you as soon as you finish this list as well. Yep, so they're they're big ones. Any others?
1: Yeah, um, yes. By the Sea, By uh, the which sea. is one of the ones that a lot of people hate it, but I totally went with it. That's the Angelina
0: Jolie directed and written one with her and Brad yes. Pitt. Is that right? Yeah, that's a yes. really intense, intense film. That is really yeah. intense. Yeah. Um, look, and, and what I'll tell you, I don't know if I've shared this on the podcast, but it's actually perfect. So. Um, my wife and I went on a a date movie, (laughs) one of our first dates to see blue Valentine.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: And, and talk about like, well, look, if you still want to stick around after that is, you know, possibly an outcome in this relationship, (laughs) then then maybe you're the right person. We just saw the poster. You get fooled by Gosling and Michelle Williams and Derek. They're cute.
1: Like They're cute. cute. They're gonna fall in love. It's gonna be adorable. Oh,
0: isn't it? And and you're like, oh, this is a young and <laughs> up and coming, young up and coming American independent filmmaker. Oh, this will be exciting. No, we both walked out like we have been hit by a ton of bricks, just yeah. absolutely reeling. And uh, oh my god, it was absolutely awful. <laughs> but thank you for coming to uh, bringing those few to our attention. And I think By the Sea doesn't get as much credit. People, I think, it well, doesn't. I think they thought it was really indulgent. And now when you watch it after you know that they broke up, it's like, wow this is really like we're putting the coffin nail in this relationship in a really thinly veiled metaphor for their relationship as it is. And then it's done.
1: Yeah. And I also sort of felt like at the time, like seeing it, I felt so much like, wow, he really loves her to do this sort of experimental type film where it's just not, you don't encounter that kind of film every day. It's more of a European sensibility and, Uh, he's doing stuff he's not done before and there's so much richness there that I think a lot of people just glossed over and thought it was just this vanity project. And I don't know, I really saw the art in it and I, I really vibrated with it, but a lot of people didn't and you know, respect to them, but I really went, if you're able to go with it, then I think it'll, it'll unfold to you, um, and take you places where you didn't expect it to go.
0: It's like the people who love BoJack Horseman. I know this is a really random oh. thing. It's like the people who love BoJack Horseman, sometimes I go, guys, like if I'm ever feeling upset, that is not a show I'm watching. It makes really? me, I'm like, it makes me sad. Like it, cause, cause BoJack gets so like, I can
1: see that. It gets so yeah.
0: depressive and so like full on that you're like, oh my God, I don't know if I can cope with this right now. I'm going to go back to Rick and Morty for five minutes and then I'll come back to <laughs> BoJack. Cause BoJack has a, like that emotional core that is just, like, mm-hmm. really, really tough. And that's what I think that some of these movies, like you're talking about, Revolutionary Road, Blue Valentine, By the Sea, and this scene in the middle of One Heat Minute is kind of, this is where emotional truths get hit. And, it's mm-hmm. not, and those three are like, you know, we're only fortunately in one minute of maybe 10 minutes of this whole film that's dedicated to this decaying relationship. But they're, they're three big endurance projects of, you know, um, tragic relationships unfolding as they go along.
1: Yeah, and I'd also add uh, Scenes from a Marriage, too, uh, on that list. The the grand dame of married people fighting uh, movies. And I highly recommend the longer cut, just because you really get into it. Um, But, you know, I feel like the the shorter one, the shorter, quote-unquote, shorter one, three hours long, (laughs) uh, you don't quite get the full picture. But I highly recommend the longer version.
0: Well... Let's. Speaking of three hour movies that feel short, we're going to jump into this minute. Um, Courtney and I are going to watch and you guys are going to listen along to the minute and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about it. So let me share that with you.
1: Come on, let's share that. And in sharing it, we'll somehow uh, cathartically dispel all that heinous shit, right? Wrong. You know why? Because
0: you prefer the normal routine be fucked and you lose the power of speech.
1: Because I got a whole lot of my angst. I preserve it because I need it. It keeps me sharp, on the edge, where I gotta be. You don't live with me.
0: You live among the remains of dead people. You read the terrain, you search for signs of passing, for the scent of your prey, and then you hunt them down. So there it is, kicking off with, let's share these heinous things, and then Diane Venora unloading. It's, 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 a, it's an unfortunate eclipse because it's right in the middle of this really great sort of sequence of, uh, of sequence of dialogue that we've had to cut off, but here we are. Courtney, what a minute!
1: Well, it, it's an astounding minute. It's one of my favorite minutes in this movie.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm guilty of saying that a lot, but uh, I I, you know, I I don't think he wastes any time. You know, for a character for for characters and the sprawl, um, you know, I, even you know Donald Breeden, you know, which we haven't we which we haven't yet seen sort of coming back to him after seeing him much earlier in the film, played by Dennis Haysbert. When you see mm-hmm. this series of conversations unfolding, each one of them are just so riveting. You're just hanging on every word. You want to be part of their internal drama. And this one, this is like the pièce de résistance. This is Vincent, you know, Neil gets this much later with Edie. He's in holiday mode right now in the, in the context of the film. But this is mm-hmm. Vincent learning about his, you know, his flaws in the most sort of, you know, eviscerating way possible from Diane hmm
1: And I love how this, uh, sequence feeds into, like you said, the next sequence, which also feeds into the next sequence, which is all of the men talking to their women about how they're handling things and how their women are of comfort to them. Um, I feel like there's somatic ties there that tie them all together. This is what's so great about Michael Mann movies is he really puts the criminals and the traditional like good guys all on the same level. And there's different more like gray, uh, moralities in between each of them. And none of them are, uh, saintly at all. There's lots, there's just lots of little things there on each of them. And I think Michael Mann is so great at doing that, not just in this movie, but also in like the rest of his, uh, you know, canon, I guess.
0: Yeah. I think, um, you know, one of his most famous big conversation scenes happened in I think it was his second or was his first technically theatrical movie which is Thief which is an mm-hmm. absolute masterpiece there's that great Tuesday World and James Kahn scene where they're yeah. sitting down in the cafe and it's a much longer scene and I and in some ways you know as you say I think I think you're spot on that there's such a thematic connection between these three conversations even the four you know just as a really dark mm-hmm. comparison with Wayne Grow, how they're all connected and I almost feel like Instead of one couple sort of being the showcase and going through all these different emotions, their dreams, their life, their failures, it's almost like he, he sort of used some of that thief model and went, "I'm gonna take us through a journey with four couples, but you know they'll be interconnected stuff, but it, essentially it's that cent- there's like a centerpiece of conversations that are happening in a cafe um, and, and, and happening in front of one another and demonstrating power dynamics um, and comfort. Mm that's happening through the center of this film. I think you're absolutely spot on there.
1: Um, I also loved how right before he goes, uh, uh, before he goes into the bar that's now emptied out and it's the end of the night, which also impacts the narrative as well, because we just saw that scene where it was bursting with life before he had to leave to go and do his job, uh, his calling, you know, And, uh, where it was bursting with life. And now it's like this, you know, the lights are on, you see everybody's bleary eyed trying to go home. She's waiting there for him. Um, I think the context of the setting also is something to sort of dig into as well. And the scene right before when he's consoling the mom of the sex worker, who's just been killed, um, I think there's a difference between how he's able the character of Vincent's able to sort of console a stranger, but he is just completely incapable of sort of answering for these like the breakdown of his marriage, his third, like the third marriage. Um, You know, he's seen women brutalized. You can't help but bring that into the marriage, uh, which he, I think, discusses at one point. Um, but he's so different when it comes to the intimacy of his own marriage that I think that's something to sort of, that man sort of alludes to there.
0: Yeah. I hadn't, I hadn't placed, um, I hadn't placed the, his ability to comfort, um, it's uh, the, the prostitute's mother It's played by Hazel Goodman in the previous scene. I hadn't really mm. placed that, but it's so right. You know, like in that scene, and you use the words, and I love the word, like his calling, in the space for his calling, he can be mm-hmm. open to these things. You know, he mm-hmm. can be open to these emotions, and 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 even if it's not, it's hard to say. It's like you don't want to say it's false, but even if it's in moments where it's like he's just briefly capturing that energy, and then sort of you know nurturing her very briefly, and then sort of moving her on, um, mm-hmm. he just got no. When he goes home to Justine's point in this, you know, unraveling conversation, she's the leftovers, you know, he's, mm-hmm. he, he's not, he's not even able to like say, look, I'm sorry. And, 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 and use that same intuition if you like, because and it's like you're seeing at the top of his game in that previous scene, like you in every mm-hmm. sense. And in this scene, you're seeing him at, at his lowest and Justine's like, Hey, I know what you're doing. And that's what's so tragic about this scene. It's like kind of like, she's like, I know what you're doing. Like, let me help you. Let us be a part of it. And it's not, and he's just not capable in this, in this sense of hearing her do that.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, Um, He thinks this, like, it's funny because you really do see both sides of the equation of her complaints and his sort of conundrum that he's stuck in. And I think that's a really good thing that they're sort of coming in with these sort of equal problems and trying to figure out what's best for them and what's going to work the best for them, where you can see him not wanting to bring home these terrible problems and tell her about all of these horror stories. But he's also, to her you know, side of the argument, he's also not given her anything when she comes home. He's like completely sort of locked off And sort of not into telling her things and sharing, which, you know, women do find healthy for men to share sort of these problems. So we can sort of help console and help work out these problems and come at it from a different perspective. But um, so you sort of see both of their sides of the argument. And I think that echoes in the placement of where they're sitting in that frame too, the way man has everything framed. And it's sort of not the traditional sort of uh, response of like the shot, reaction, shot, shot, reaction, shot, uh, where each is placed at like a different side of the screen, but they're both in the frame together when they do the shot, reverse shot sort of thing. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, yeah. He's uh, um, uh, So just as a direct comparison, if you're not sure what Courtney means, like, um, by the shot, reverse shot, and the the togetherness of the scene, um, you know the crazy film uh, boffins. I think pre-internet famously made rumours up that Robert De Niro and Al Pacino were never in the same scene together in the sort of central mm-hmm. diner scene because the the way that the camera's locked off, you can't really tell if it's Pacino or De Niro in those shot reverse shots. But here, he's making a really deliberate choice of when Diane Venora is talking to um, talking to uh, Al Pacino. You're seeing the like the profiles of, of one another in the shot as they're talking and it only adjusts and in that and I think also you make a really great point. It's like they're they're just sitting in this last sliver of light in this dark mm-hmm. room. And they're wearing dark colours. So they sort of their their bodies almost blend in
1: mm-hmm. to the
0: room and then this warm light is on their faces. So it's there's nothing harsh about the way they're conducting the conversation, but also the way the film is staged in that point, you, to, to exactly what you're saying, is like there's something warm and very nurturing and, and uh, about the way that Justine, Diane Venora's character, wants to conduct this conversation.
1: Exactly. And the darkness sort of envelops them, but they're lit so warmly, and where you really feel their emotions and their context and the intimacy of their marriage in that one scene and that relationship that they have, uh, you know, even seeing, you know, she's telling him, you know, uh, the, the truth is cutting him like a knife, but he's, you see his reaction where he's sort of feeling complacent, maybe a little, I don't think blase is the right word, maybe forlorn. Yeah. Uh, to but what, but I she's agree saying.
0: To, to jump onto what you said. It's, yeah. it's, there's such a great shift because at, you know, at the beginning, cause so we're sort of, we're going to sprawl slightly out of our <laughs> yeah. minute a little bit, but at the beginning, she's got that very, um, really great, uh, strong angular, uh, gestures, um, uh, strong angular gestures as she's sort of using her chin, um, uh, at the beginning going, I love you fat, I love you, you know, bald, I yes. love you, blah, and And then when he's sort of, as we're in the thick of our minute, he's like, let's share that. And he's using these really, I love how you say blasé, because he's using this weird hand gesture. It's almost like charades, you know, keep going, keep going. Like he's trying to wrap her up, you know. Oh, let me share Mm -hmm. this with you. And then she completely flips in our minute, which I love, is she's just a picture of stillness and posture. She just doesn't move. And Mm -hmm. she delivers these lines with such stoicism that kind of matches in the way that she, her posture stands it's its so it's such a beautiful and deliberate choice I think from her to just give that you know I'm not gonna we're not gonna there's no histrionics. we're not gonna throw our hands around like you I'm just gonna deliver you exactly what you need
1: mm-hmm. yeah I think you're totally spot on with that and you know Sort of going back to uh, before we started, I was touching on a little bit about Diane Venora's look in this movie as Justine. She reminded me a lot. Every time I watch this movie, I see something new in it. And that's pretty much easy to do in a movie that's almost (laughs) three hours. Um, One that you don't watch all the time, but you watch frequently enough where you're like, hmm, I've never thought about this before in this context. But this time around, when she's sort of, introduced she they're introduced in like making love. That's how we see both of them introduce these characters. And to chart their arc from that to how it ends is very definitive. And most move most filmmakers don't really pay mind to the women in the relationships in that way that man does here, where you can chart their romantic entanglements throughout yes. and um, her look reminded me a lot of Audrey Hepburn and funny face uh, from the way her hair is cut to the way she pulls it back in a ponytail at one point. She's got this black turtleneck on I'm getting really girly right here. But I think it's important to make this thing where I'm now trying to figure out if uh, I think that connection is sort of noteworthy because it feels like this is a character in reverse to that someone who's naive in that movie, uh, in funny face, it's somebody who's naive, uh, until love walks in the door and opens up her world. And I don't know if it's a reverse or if it's an exact parallel. Do you see what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but I, but I almost think I feel, I feel your, your instinct of it being a reverse is totally true because she seems the wiser. Yes. She seems yeah. the wiser.
1: Right. Right. She seems to know what's going on and be, you know, no holds bar. He seems to be the one who's trying to sort of bolster that sort of, hey, there's nothing wrong going on here. You know, this denial, this intense denial that he has that he's not sharing with her. But she seems to know, you know, what's going on. That's why it's leading her to, you know, abuse Prozac and to, you know uh hook know, up with ralph do other hook yes. up with ralph yes poor ralph the, i'll come back and do
0: that minute.
1: <laughs> where where al patino yells about he's not allowed to watch his television i will come back for that that's a that,
0: that that that's a promise that we can keep i'm gonna find it and we're gonna that's, that's on my to-do list blake find the minute and tell Courtney about it look but i don't think um you know, speaking of the the obsessive way that we're deconstructing this movie, I don't think anything, particularly a wardrobe choice, um, is girly. I think that's really spot on because you know you look at they were so particular in the design of Neil Macaulay with Robert De Niro. This gray everyman mm-hmm. suit, this gray uh, you know uh, doesn't look too fitted but looks uh, fitted. And you just go to Collateral a few years later, and there's Tom Cruise right. as Vincent in the same grey suit and same Mm grey suit and white shirt combo because he's – and similar haircuts, you know, just wanting to adopt this, uh, uh, you know, every man, anonymous businessman look. And so it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if there was sort of a visual cue or even Venora herself, um, Mm -hmm. you know, to that sort of Hepburn because he's a big romantic. You know, Last of the Mohicans is like as romantic as it gets. And so I think that people might, might, you know – sidestep some of that, but uh, Venora here looks like the innocent Audrey Hepburn character who's about to get mm-hmm. her world opened up, but she's, she's on her second marriage. She's, she knows what's going down. She, and she's even in denial about it herself, which is why I think, as you said, she's willing to abuse the Prozac because she's, I think, she knows what's coming. So when we get to this conversation right in this minute, the 63rd minute of the movie, she's like, this is it. This is, this is the moment
1: this is the moment of truth here The everything's out on the table now and let's figure this out. Yes. Of what are we going to do? Yeah, absolutely. And so, Um, so strong
0: is the connection with the dialogue from the previous minute to this minute, you know, especially as she gets to the end and when she's like, you know, you know, you you just hang around the remains of the dead, I think is the line. And it's just like, Oh my God, so strong.
1: Yeah. You don't live with me. I wrote it down. You don't live with me. You live among the remains of dead people. Yes, And it's like, Oh, how does that not hit you in your chest?
0: (laughs) It does. It does with me every time. Yeah. I think some people that I've spoken to dismiss the power of this scene because of how precise it is, but Mm. I'm completely in contrast to that. I'm like, this is, She's been practicing this conversation every night she's been at home by herself is the way that I imagine it. Is that unfair? Mm. Am I going too crazy with that? No,
1: I think you're probably right. I think like you said, said before, she knows what's coming. She's been through this game before she's, uh, you know, hurt and upset at the neglect and the abandonment and the disappointment. And I think that's led her down sort of paths that have made her sort of, uh, and will make her act out, but, uh, later on in the upcoming minutes. Um, but I think she knows, you know, what's going on. And, um, I think she's sort of, I don't know, reticent to, I don't know. She probably has thought of this when she's home alone every night or when, uh, that one scene where, you know, Al Pacino comes home and she's like, we've been waiting for you for three hours and he's going off on, uh, the ex-husband being neglectful of the daughter of Lauren, uh, Natalie Portman's character. And he's going to town on that guy. Whereas he's got the faults of his own too. He's neglecting his family right there too. So he's, you know, he's just as culpable as this other guy, um, so and, she's probably – she was probably sitting there with the with the over-roasted chicken going, <laughs> what would I say to him if if this comes up again?
0: And and you're right. It's so funny that he's got that ability to displace,
1: mm-hmm. to
0: just completely say, no. Like, oh, he, he's such a bad guy. He leaves him neglected. And I love mm-hmm. the disbelief in her face in that scene. Sorry, guys, if we're losing <laughs> the discipline at the minute, but I think it's really important. Um, is she kind of looks at him like – yeah, he wasn't here. So what? Like we're having a conversation about us right now. Like mm-hmm. don't deflect onto him. He's an easy, ta- Oh, it's almost like he's an easy target. He's an easy yeah. target in this, in this, in this scenario. You, um, like this is a conversation about you and me and you not being available for me to have this conversation with
1: you. Hmm. And I think that feeds into his sort of treatment of her later on, in that reaction shot of this minute that we have, um, of him looking forlorn and sort of blase and like, mm, how do we fix this sort of thing? Or like, ugh, this is just like, this is torturous for me to sort of hear all this stuff. Um, so I think that sort of it all feeds together. And I think that's what's so brilliant of this movie and what you had said before about no minute is wasted. There's nothing wasted in this movie. Like there's no fat at all. It's funny that, um, you know, you and I see movies a lot and a lot, yes. I've seen and I seen a lot of movies try to imitate this and they've been so terrible at it because they don't get what's fundamentally great about this movie.
0: Yeah. I think they did. I think a lot of the imitators, because it sets such a high bar.
1: Mm-hmm. It sets
0: such a high bar with, you know, um, Authenticity and action. And I think mm-hmm. so many of the imitators get stuck on those two things and and completely miss that people are living really, you know, strange parallel lives, you know, Vincent and Vincent and, and, and Justine and, and, and Neil and Edie. And then you've got this other phenomenally conflicted relationship in Chris and Charlene Jaheilis with the amazing Ashley mm-hmm. Judd. Um, and then you've got this greater side with you know, Donald Breeden, who's over here with his lovely partner, Lillian, um, yeah. who, who in her own right is like, they're trying to salvage what they've got and trying not to get him back into prison. And that that's always absent in the movies that try and imitate this. <laughs> the no, oh, yeah. no, no, none of the yep. drama, none of what we yeah. like. It's it married people arguing or people in relationships <laughs> arguing. It's all about the action. And you're like, that's not, the action meant something.
1: Right. It meant yeah. Something. It's, It's like it's all about the action or it's just all about the men. And even though they try to have women in them, it only makes women look like, you know, the side hustle sort of a thing where they don't even bother (laughs) with the relationships. Uh, And specifically, like, Den of Thieves this year was trying to imitate Heat so much. (laughs) But it was, you know, it's obviously there's no Heat there in that movie, (laughs) if I may be so terribly uh, punny. Um, but that's one of the movies that I was like, what are you doing? Have you ever seen heat? Yes. <laughs> like,
0: yeah. uh, um, and uh, and yeah. uh, you can't begrudge them for trying, but like you said, for, for two of sure. us who watch a lot of movies, I look at this movie and there's not a minute wasted. And I really struggle to understand how in some movies, and I know that you'll be the same. Some movies that have a hundred minute running time, you check your watch and that's like mm-hmm. 70 minutes less than this. And you're like, God, this is a labour. Like, what are they trying to yeah. do here? What is this meaning? And I just don't think that that exists for this. I, I haven't no, been lucky I, have, I haven't been lucky or perhaps unlucky enough to see *Den of Thieves*, and it's largely because I've read so much about like it being a you know a proto heat. And I've had people like yourself, which I think is my you know my initial trepidation is like *Den of Thieves* is terrible. I shouldn't watch it. I've watched heat far too many times and I will see every string that they're trying to pull and then other people go, no, it's actually okay. Like it's not terrible. Um, it's absolutely not heat. And I'm kind of like, I've got to, maybe I need to give it a year just to live in existence. And I'll go back in and try and visit in isolation from this movie.
1: Right. I mean, I, that's a challenge. I think it's going to be an even bigger challenge for you than this podcast has been for you, <laughs> <So> <laughs> quite honestly. But, you know, fair enough.
0: 170 hours talking to great people or like one, two hours <laughs> stint. You're like, well, Blake, it's pretty hard. It's pretty hardcore. Right?
1: Think, uh, I don't know how you're going to go with it. But like back to your point where, you know, with the movies that you check your watch – with this one, when you had originally pitched this to me and you said, you know, it's the 63rd minute of heat. I'm going, I don't know when that is because I don't, I don't pay attention to time with this movie. Cause it just, I'm so intrigued of what's going on in the screen. I never, I've never looked at my watch when I watched this movie. I've never sort of like, I can sort of gauge, like if I'm picking it up in the middle, I know what's coming next, but like, I don't know the minute marks (laughs) or anything. So I think that's a good thing with this movie. And um, also another thing that I liked about this movie, just to be in general, is I think it's one of those ones where you can watch it with the sound off and it's still just as compelling and you can tell what's happening. Though, of course, you want that dialogue there and you're the richer for not doing it. But I think there's a visual storytelling element here that Michael Mann has, um, that some of maybe his later works are sort of missing or feel missing. Um, yeah, the,
0: but the, there's, I love it, there's like a staging going on. And, mm-hmm. and one of the things, even just, you know, there's that amazing scene where, um, uh, which is, a, a, you know, a, about 10 minutes earlier in the film where Vincent's entire team is waiting outside of um, outside of the restaurant for Neil's team who come out. And, you know, yeah. Vincent says that famous line, mm-hmm. it's a convention. And just mm-hmm. the staging, you know, all of his five guys lit by the neon lights with the cage, you know, there. And then yeah. it's just, there's something about, you know, the good guys and bad guys in some of these staged scenes that feel so perfect, even in the upcoming scenes where um, Neil and team are being, stalked by vincent's team on purpose at the to, to sort of catch them um to catch them out when they know the heat is on them um and mm-hmm. that just I, I love that and i agree it's one of those ones you can turn it off and maybe it's that whole you know um uh, this is something i've been talking about a little bit um uh, you know sort of with friends but it's that whole thing of the uh the noir or the black and white version of a, of a film coming out like where they did it with oh, and right. fury road and they did it with logan yeah that sort of validate, no, this is a piece of cinema. You know, this is, you know, it stands up to even black and white. We don't need color to even tell this story. And I think it could be a movie like that. It could be just a black Mm. and white movie and feel timeless, feel like it came straight out of the seventies.
1: Yeah, I completely agree with that. And uh, just to go back to Den of Thieves for a brief moment, (laughs) there is another sort of play on that scene in there. And uh, it's a daytime and they're looking through a sort of like this like sort of chain link fence or whatever on a garage. And it's just such a pale imitator. <laughs> so you're going to get a chuckle out of that when oh. you see it in a year's time. <laughs> oh
0: god, Yeah. I'm going to have to book it in much, much, much later. So you're the, the great thing that I discover in this podcast is like, I, I talk to great people. I want to get, you know, different perspectives. And Courtney is you, you were around for all of the big, you know, 20th anniversary a couple of years ago, re-releases and went out there and, and got to see uh, folks getting along in droves to this movie. What do you think, and I, and I guess I'm really curious from like a, um, a, another critic's perspective, Like, what is it about this movie that has now started to really crystallise it as a classic? Like, what, what do you think it's taken to, sh- to tip over that edge where now, now you, know, you might have even five, ten years ago said Heat and people are like, oh, Heat, yeah, maybe, I think I saw that once. So now you say it and they're like, oh, Heat, yeah, that's a great film.
1: Yeah. I mean, maybe it's just the circles I've run in, but it's always been a classic in whatever uh, friendships and colleagues and stuff like that. It's always this understanding of heat. Like As soon as anybody says heat, we all nod our heads like, and we know exactly what we're talking about. It's this common language that we sort of speak. But um, I don't know what sort of takes this to the next level versus sort of anything else that man has done i mean obviously thief is very well regarded and it is a masterpiece Mm. um but heat really hits all the quadrants i think um and makes it in industry speak the uh four quadrant sort of thing well maybe not kids or (laughs) maybe maybe kids i don't know but uh I watched yeah. it probably
0: in a less age-appropriate time than I should have. I think I was twelve or thirteen <laughs> when I okay. watched it for the first time. So you know, a yeah. lot, lot more so vo- maybe, maybe, maybe. But maybe it had that that impact on me because it was a bit different. Um, yeah, look, uh, um, yeah, I I, I'm not sure either because much like you, I, I'm always curious to ask because much like you. Keats always been a movie that every time I talked about it in my circles of friends and you know, whether that be cinephile friends or just regular punters, they're like, mm-hmm. Oh no, he's a great mm-hmm. movie you yeah. see you know if it's on the cable television and, and, and it's just on it's one of those movies that you flick the channel and if it's there you're like oh dear God now I'm stuck I
1: gotta watch the rest of it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> whatever time it's at <laughs> you're hoping that it's in an hour in so at least you know maybe you've got an hour and 20 or something like that to, to go um, but unfortunately if you if, if, if you get stuck at a wrong minute and it's just the beginning of the heist it's all over you're there for the you're there for the long haul um right Courtney. Thank you so much for being part of One Heat Minute. This has been awesome. I'd never thought, and I think you're so spot on. The Audrey Hepburn funny face uh um uh allegory for Venora's dress is just so great. I'm gonna put a picture of that in the post when we post the podcast. So if you check it out and go to oneheatminute.com, you can check it out. I'm gonna put them side by side so you can see that Courtney is spot on there. Um, <laughs> um and and Later on, guys, you're going to hear the ninetieth minute of the one Heat minute podcast It's already been recorded live at the Sydney Film Festival. I'm really pleased that both Courtney and my best friend Maria really um are into Diane Venora's look in this movie um and her d- delightful bangs um so I think that that's you know that's 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 a a credit because we you know often talking about Vincent's slick back look, Neil's you know collateral look, but I'm really glad that we got that perspective and also people talk about Edie a lot. You know, Edie with mm-hmm. her, you know, messiness as opposed to Justine and, 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 um, and Charlene Shehill you know, being very sort of, you know, trophy wifey um, or Audrey hepburn in this case, which is awesome. But thank you so much for being part of the podcast. I really appreciate it. Guys, if you want to follow Courtney, the best place to find her is on the Twitters um, at Lula Maybell. And which, which of the um, other many sites that you write for, Court, is the best place to find you um, on a more regular basis?
1: Uh, you can find me mostly at freshfiction.tv. Uh, things might be changing in a few months or so, but that's mostly where you can find my work, and you can always find me on Twitter, like you said. Thank <laughs> yeah. you so much for having me on this. This was so much fun.
0: I'm, I'm I'm stoked that you're here, and as I said, be careful what you wish for. Courtney has asked to come back to talk about Ralph, and I her wish... <laughs> is my command that is that is most definitely gonna happen courtney thank you so much for being a part of one eight minute again thank you to Garth franklin for our website design thank you so much to paul davies for our theme song and thank you guys for listening and we'll catch you next episode
1: thanks everyone